Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, John Hamm, from Mad Men to working with Clint Eastwood on his new film, Richard Jewell. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, one of our last podcasts. No, not permanently, of the year, Sammy. I know you got excited for a second. I got scared. You were like, wait, is he making an announcement? No, I thought something was going to happen to you. That's, <laughs> something that's, where, you, that, that's where you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, very casually, <laughs> this is how I want to announce that. So, uh, it's the last one. <laughs> I am so vital and alive, Sammy. Ew. <laughs> that's Sammy really being encouraging as always. Um, but I'm very excited despite your uh, wish for my death because John Hamm is no. on the show today. A reason to stay alive, if anything. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. John Hamm, um, never been on the podcast. He's been, as I You've said, been courting him for a while. And I openly said this to uh, Mr. Hamm. I said, John, you are my white whale. You have been <laughs> one of the white whales, at least, that yeah. I have been pursuing. Uh, because he's just, he's charming, he's funny, he's slightly good to look at, yeah, I suppose. Not too hard on the eyes. Um, so yes, he's been on the list for a while and just hasn't worked out until, uh, now and the timing was right. He's in the new, as I said, Clint Eastwood film, Richard Jewell, um, which is technically, you probably don't know this, Sammy, most people don't know this, the second time John Hamm has been in a Clint Eastwood movie. What was the first? Wow, what a great, what a great question. <laughs> uh, his film debut, John's film debut, was in Space Cowboys. He, I believe he had, no. I believe he had one line. Yeah, so you can look that up. I probably will. Yeah, now you have something to do the rest <laughs> yeah. of the day. Yes. Um, so yeah, so John came by to talk about uh, this new, much more rich collaboration mm -hmm. with Clint Eastwood on uh, on this film. If you don't know much about Richard Jewell, it is uh, essentially the story of the 1996 uh, Olympic Park bombing in which um, a security guard named Richard Jewell was essentially, uh, there was a rush to judgment by the law, uh, law enforcement and the media, and he was basically convicted uh, in public uh, when it turns out he was actually a hero. He was the person that saved lives and... Um, and I think to this day, to this day, a lot of people, when they think Richard Jewell, they think, oh, that's the guy that, that did that horrible thing in 96 when, in fact, he was a hero. So if nothing else, this film writes that wrong and uh, hopefully, um, you know, spreads the word. Uh, you know, Richard is, is no longer with us, but his mom's around, his family's around. So this is really a, a tribute to him in many ways. And it features a great leading performance from Paul Walter Hauser, who's on the podcast very soon. We already mm -hmm. taped that. He's great in it. And supporting performances from Olivia Wilde and Kathy Bates and John Hamm. Mm -hmm. So that that's what brought John into, uh, into my weird little office for a chat. And I'm happy it did. He's got a lot going on. He always does. He's going to be in the new season of Curb, Curb, Sammy. Yes. I'm very excited. I like when he's a funny guy. I mean, he, I, we talked about this. Like, if you look at his resume, so he's got these kind of like two careers. Obviously, Mad Men is what put him on the map. Heard of it. <laughs> but then, I think it was kind of starting with, he says it was starting with SNL. So, uh, so Warren Michaels he, took a chance on SNL, him hosting. And then, of course, Tina Fey comes around. 30 Rock. 30 Rock, game changer. Yeah. So funny on 30 Rock. And he, I'm like, it was all in that time. He also did like the, 
He was in the Jimmy Fallon Emmys opener one year. Yeah, he's done it. Like, if you, like, honestly, that. if you think of any cool comedy of the last 10 years, he's popped up. Like, all the cool comedy nerds. Bridesmaids. Yes, Bridesmaids, of course. Kimmy Schmidt, he's been on. Yes. He's just a go to. He knows how to play off his looks and his image, and he's not afraid to do that. And, uh, and he's, he's always just really funny, in addition to, you know, being a solid, like, leading man or supporting player, as in the case of Richard Jewell. He annoyingly can do it all. He was also in that Adam Driver movie, the Amazon one. Which oh, the report. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's and that's recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's got he's got a lot going on. So busy guy. Busy guy. Thrilled to have him on. Hopefully the first of uh, many appearances on Happy Sad Confused. So that's the main event today. Other big event we should mention: Sammy. Sammy's being a huge help on this massive yes. event, this historic moment in Happy Sad Confused <laughs> history. This is big, guys. If you don't know it already. We're going live. Yep. We're doing it December 22nd, this Sunday. If you are within 3,000 square miles, you better get in the car right now and start driving. If tickets are still available. Tickets are still available. They might be. (laughs) (laughs) But no, tickets are available. Um, I think VIP tickets are sold out, but there are the general admission. Um, We have a lot. So here's the the nuts and and bolts of it. We're doing our first live event at the Bell House in Brooklyn, uh, December 22nd. That's a Sunday night, 6 p.m. It's uh, it's me. It's David Harbour is the main act, the main event. It's going to be a great, fun conversation. Uh, We have... Uh, happy, sad, confused. Previous guest Justin Long, who's always hysterical and fun. Patrick Wilson's gonna be there. Patrick Wilson's gonna sing for us. Oh my god! And play an instrument. Perhaps play an instrument. If we can figure out how to make that happen, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. I believe in in you, us. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and some surprises too. Some giveaways. I should mention. Uh, Outlander fans, Ooh. Sam Hewen is a part of this event in some ways in that he has contributed a bunch of really cool autographed stuff. So there's a bunch of autographed books. Do you want books. me to go pick those up personally? For <laughs> I can pick those up oh, wow. if that's, we need. That's weird. You've never offered before. No, the... I want to go above and beyond for this. Huh. So just if you need me to right. personally pick up the signed items from Sam Hewen, right. I can make time. Right. And hope, hopefully he's like in the shower when that happens. I Sam. Come on, man. Oh, sorry. I made it weird. Come on. Okay. Whatever. Um, We'll see what we can do about that. Thank you. But yes, if you're an Outlander fan, uh, this is a good opportunity because we have a a bunch of uh, free stuff and it's not a gigantic audience. So you have a decent shot at getting some really cool autographed Sam Hewen stuff if you come to the event. So (laughs) yeah, really cool. And some other stuff too, I think. So yeah, we're, we're, and we're still, it's still coming together. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be really fun. And this has been a fun event to, uh, to finally get to the stage. And I hope it's been your dream for a long time. Let's not go that far. Well, it's something you've sort of wanted. You sort of talked about. It's been on the list. It's been on the list for a while. So yes, December 22nd, the way to get tickets, uh, the bellhouseny.com is where you can get tickets. Uh, I'm also, if you just check me out on social media, I've been mentioning it. So you'll, you won't be able to miss it. So hope to see some of you guys there. It's going to be a fun night, uh, in Brooklyn. Um, other than that, what else, Sammy? That's just, it's big movie season. Oh, you, Josh, do you have your top 10 list yet? No, I was just saying to Sammy, <laughs> I don't. And I, and I'm really, oh, He's I'm really stressed. freaking out I'm just stressed, it. guys. I'm still, still some major movies I haven't seen. Oh my God. I'm seeing Star Wars tomorrow. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the next time you, you'll hear me on Happy Second Fused, I'll probably have seen it four or five times. I have, I have a, I have a bunch of tickets. I'm so bought. worried for you. Why? What if you don't like it? Shut up. You take that back. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm literally worried for you. 
if you don't ever hear from me again, that means I didn't like it and I've gone to live a life as much like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi by himself. Oh, sorry. We'll do an in memoriam for you on Sunday night. Perfect. (laughs) Josh couldn't be here. He's mourning how much he hated the latest Star Wars movie. I won't. It's going to be fantastic. Positive Let's thinking. Let's hope, yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's enough of a preamble, right? Yeah. Should we get to John Hamm? Everyone's okay. fast-forwarded anyway. Yeah, man. if you're still listening, I don't God know bless. what your problem is. Maybe the <laughs> fast-forward button isn't working for them. Yeah. I pity you. <laughs> um, enjoy this conversation with John Hamm. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, and hope you guys are having a lovely holiday season. Hope to see some of you guys in Brooklyn this Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Here's John. Do you have any action figures? I have a Funko, a Don Draper Funko. Oh, that's fun. It just came out with those. John Hamm is in the office. No formal introduction. We're just talking action figures and Funkos. <laughs> yeah, I guess there are no um, action figures associated with Richard Jewell. Probably not. <laughs> this isn't the one. That would be tonally <laughs> dissonant, really? I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but welcome. Welcome to my office and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. you you've been kind of one of my white whales for a while, oh. John. Let's leave race out of it. No, but okay. Not, any kind of whale. Blue whale, sperm whale. That sounds wrong, too. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's 2019. We can get busted for anything. Um, because I, of course, admire your talent, but also you're, you're just a good guest. You're a good classic talk show, chat show guest. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> okay, well, uh, wait. Uh, so, uh, I guess yeah. humility's not in the repertoire. <laughs> part of being a good guest right <laughs> to, to know what you've got exploit it does that does that but in a, in a non-facetious way do you take a little pride in like you know you grew up loving pop culture watching the, the late night chat shows and you're right now one of the you're like obviously an snl regular whenever you pop up on a late night show like you deliver the goods you're like one of those guys go-to guys that always is kind of fun um i mean i guess there's two ways to look at stuff like that you know you, you can look at it as work right um and in some ways it is, you know, it's part of the, part of the gig, right? You're, you're promoting a project or you're promoting yourself or whatever it is, but you can also look at it in the, in the way of like, well, it can be fun and you should try to, I guess, make it fun. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I guess my, um, kind of original, especially with the like podcast of it all was, was mostly with comedians. So the, the the coin of the realm was was laughter and fun and right. goofing off and it wasn't and no one you know it wasn't serious back in the old days now it's like a money making thing for people right um, but yeah it's I, I I do try to have have fun with it and kind of lean into it whether it's you know Fallon or or even like you know the morning shows or whatever and if it's you know if it's obviously if it's a certain right a serious subject serious you're, subject you're, you're, you're not the, you're the, not yeah, you're yeah. not goofing on it but but yeah I mean. People want to be entertained, I guess. So. I, yeah, I always, I always like. I mean, it's it different, and he's a different kind of type. But like, Feral till his dying day will always like take every opportunity of a talk show to just do a bit. Well, in my, you know, my favorite growing up, like when I would watch Johnny Carson, my, some of my favorite guests on it were guys like Charles Grodin, who would, oh, who Grodin's would be thing, yeah. just deliberately antagonistic, yeah. <laughs> and it was so funny. Um, because that was his, that was just his shtick. Yeah. Like, and I, I think a lot of people didn't get it. Right. A lot of people were like, why is this man being so rude to Johnny Carson? <laughs> he was so committed. But Johnny really loved it. And I just remember watching it with my dad and being like, oh, this guy's kind of doing like a next level meta yeah. thing. That's really funny. 
Um, so did, I appreciate that stuff. He would do it with Letterman too, wouldn't he? I feel like I think was, uh, that was his talk show persona. Just yeah. like you don't want me here. Why are you? I, I, you, right. no, you don't want me here. I don't want to be here. Right. That's even the Groden face you just gave me. Classic Groden face. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Did you ever? Do you? I mean, what makes you nervous? Do do any kind of those events? Do award shows, talk shows, um, anything get you a little bit? It, nothing used to make me nervous. I think now, unfortunately, every every word and action you say is so part and parceled and parsed out that even misspeaking in a in a facetious way or in a in a attempt to be humorous way can get you canceled or get you right. uh, you know you have to make a twelve part mea culpa or a explanation or whatever I, I i don't know i i, I don't i think w- w- unfortunately what that kind of some of that has led to is is a is a lack of or or a people don't want to say anything so you just regurgitate talking points yes. which i find boring and silly um and i think it's really it's really hindered any discussion any serious discussion of stuff um which is you know not too far away from the the point of, of, of Richard right. Jewell. Well, you're talking to the guy that um, just called you a white whale and is about to be canceled. So. <laughs> exactly. You're <laughs> this, fucked. This is my last episode. <laughs> Thanks for going out with a bang. <laughs> I never thought it would be that. That would end. Yeah, no, you never, you, <laughs> you never, you know, never you know, know what it's going to be. That's the thing. <laughs> um, so speaking, uh, segueing into um, the worthy cause that you're supporting, which is this great film, Richard Jewell, uh, obviously directed by the great Clint Eastwood, still going strong at what 89 years old. 89, yeah, he's he's up there, but he is. Uh, you wouldn't know it to to work with him or talk to him or hang out with him or, I mean, <laughs> we flew down to Atlanta and uh, got to the hotel, and I was like, so we'll see you at dinner. He goes, yeah, but I'm gonna work out first. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just got off like a five-hour flight. Like, don't you want to like take a nap? You can check out, buddy. Yeah. It's like you've done your time. Yeah, I'm gonna hit the gym. <laughs> like, if you get a punch now, it's okay. Yeah, okay, we'll, bud. We'll forgive it. <laughs> All right. I mean, you know, it's, that's that's Clint. Like, he just he only know. I mean, he's been doing it for he's been directing longer than I've been alive. Right. And he's been he's been in this business for seventy years. And he, like, reinvents. Like, I mean, his directing career was, like, his second act. And, like, so he so he's, like, the biggest movie star of the time. And then he's like, you know, I'm going to try directing. And then he becomes, like, one of the top ten great American filmmakers. He's, he's an un- unbelievable musician. And, like, he's right. just got... He's got a length and breadth to his career and to his life that is so admirable and impressive. And it, he was telling stories God, the other day. He's like, well, we were... Uh, in Seattle with Quincy Jones and Miles Davis. And I was like, what? Right. Of course you were. <laughs> you'll be 90 and you'll be telling your stories. I of, guess. Of, of, of Rudd and Bill Hader and the time you went to Largo together. And somehow and it doesn't resonate no? like Quincy Jones. I don't know. And Miles Davis <laughs> and Clint Eastwood rolling through Seattle in 1958. Don't sell your crew short. We'll see. Uh, so, I mean, it's legendary the way he runs a set, and I've heard you talk about the efficiency with which he, he does it. And I don't think it's even just about age. It's, it sounds like he always kind of did it this way, where it's just a few takes. Well, and the, the funny thing is, and I, I didn't realize it until he told the story, but over the course of doing press for the film, he we were talking to a, a big group, of, a, a SAG screening of, of actors, and, and he said, you know, the reason I run it like that is because when I 
started my career on rawhide, you know, whenever that was in the fifties, right. he said, you know, there, we were on the set and there was these, you know, the, the bells would go off when the quiet on the set and somebody would be yelling action and the horses would get spooked and all this stuff. And he, he just was like, this doesn't seem to be very, um, amenable to right. uh, good acting or good anything. It's just one kind of jolt after another, and then you're supposed to be relaxed and cool. And Right. The whole goal is to get you guys into a comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, and, and like, like a Shoot place. a gun off is not the way to do it. Exactly. Or scream action in your face and like, God. <laughs> um, so he said, I just thought there must be a better way to do it. And, 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 and it was when he was over in Italy making the spaghettis that he, uh, he kind of started thinking like, Hey, can we not scream and yell and <laughs> do this whole thing? Yeah. And because they, you know, the, the Italian cinema at that time was famously like sort of non sync sound. They didn't have to like, you know, ring a bell and clap the board and do the thing. You right. just, just go when you go and then stop when you stop. And, and he, that's how he kind of created his, his sort of famously, uh, low key approach. And I, I didn't realize it, but it's, it is a, it's a remarkably effective way to put everyone at ease. Yeah. And um, I didn't realize there was method to that madness. And, and, and I, once I did, I was like, oh, that's, uh, that's really wise. And it really does work. Do you tend to be the, the actor that, like, is your first take generally the one you're happy with? Or do you? I mean, everybody, everybody deserves a second take. <laughs> and I think, you know, it, it, movie making is, 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 has a lot of specific... Um, needs in many ways and I think you know Clint's Clint's not a, a, a person who will sacrifice quality for right. expediency at all um, but but there will be times when he's like you know I, I got what I needed the, the, the shot's super wide I'm gonna be in it for two seconds at the top and the bottom of the scene right it doesn't matter if you guys tap dance in the middle of it I'll never be in the shot right um, and I can appreciate that you know of the few times I've directed stuff for film I, I can appreciate Literally, the first time I directed, I was I was like, I can't believe I've just wasted everybody's time shooting the master 15 times right. when we don't need it. And I was in my head, I was like, oh, I I, I want everybody to get up to speed and this and yeah. that. And, and you just want to, don't want to be. You're, I'm sure you're in your head. You're like, I don't want to be that guy that's fucked in the edit room. And like, I just want to cover exactly, myself. exactly. But but you realize, you know, there are there are shortcuts that you can take, and yeah. and and that's how you make your days, especially on a TV set. Well, yeah, and I think all the. The, the, the great filmmakers, I always can see like a certitude uh, when I'm watching the, their film. Like the, the, there's no other way to shoot it. Like they, it's not master, you know, reverse, reverse. It's it's like a, there's a point of view and there's a vision. Yeah, and this is the way they're that, cutting it in their head. And yeah. their uh, Schroeder uh, directed an episode of Mad Men, and it was it was one of the great experiences I had on that show because his his. His style was not dissimilar to Clint's. He was just very loose, and he was like, "Just do this. I've got what I need. Do you want another one? If not, that's great." And we had these like incredibly yeah. efficient days that were that were not fraught with like, "Oh, are we are we not getting the right, most important right. thing of this close up on the thing?" Or he would just go, "No, no, no. I know what it's going to look like," and it was impressive because you you realize that guy's been yeah. around the block a few times. So technically speaking, this is not your first collaboration with Clint. <laughs> who appeared in Space Cowboys. Now, for, forgive me, John. It's been a you while. You remember? It, well, I remember Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, he was I, in it. I remember Donald Sutherland. He was in it. Yeah, <laughs> James Garner. It. Sure, he was in it. Clint was in Clint it. Clint was in it. Uh, but I was too. 
Uh, no, I was. I had a. I had one line, and my line was essentially like, "He's over there." Basically, refer to some, to somebody is looking for Tommy Lee Jones, and he right. comes up to me, and I say, "He's over there." And uh, yeah, I was a. It was a day on a movie set and working on a Clint Eastwood movie, and I was like, "This is so cool." I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is amazing. And it was. Uh, it was. Fun and it was again. It was like a nine-hour day. We had stunts and we had airplanes and we had all this other stuff. But it's just quick. So when this one comes around, is it one of the is Clint one of those guys like? I mean, the subject matter is obviously fascinating, but is it the kind of thing where if Clint's interested, you're like, yeah, that's that's an experience. You know, he's not going to make twenty more films. Yeah, I want to yeah, get uh, it for sure. There's definitely that. Uh, definitely that, and you and you think, okay, you know. Not not to be kind of morbid, but how many more does he have in him? But but also, you know, this this story, I remember when this happened. And I remember the whole arc of the story. And I remember when the whole thing turned. And I remember just watching as a person with nothing invested in this other than being an American and, and watching this kind of weird miscarriage of justice and then watching it all just kind of fade away to the next thing that was in the news cycle right. without any kind of apology or any kind of retribution or any kind of um, remunerance in any way. And you think like, oh, well, is that what it is now? We're all just disposable in the cycle? Like, yeah. oh, sorry, we fucked up, except we're not going to say sorry. We're just going to move on to the next thing. And, 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 uh, and your life is... You know, Part of our entertainment like, is it's just, just, it's just ash, yeah. and and your family's life is, and your friends are just ruined. And whoops, we got to, you know, tough shit. It's also crazy the thing when you say that, like, because I think of, I mean, that, that's what ninety six, right? Mm-hmm. Twenty three years ago, and like, if anything, the news cycle has like is on steroids now. It sure. was moving quick then because cable news was coming. Cable news was around. This was in the hometown of CNN. Uh, the internet was in its infancy, yeah. so it wasn't. The internet wasn't where people like looked for news right. very much, but it was still a, a thing. And yeah, it was it was a real comp- competitive environment for misinformation to thrive. And you you put it in the cauldron of the Olympics, and the international spotlight is on it. And, and this is America's first Olympics since L.A. Summer Olympics since L.A. In '84, and and yeah, and 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 Oklahoma City had just happened, yeah. and the first World Trade Center bomb had gone off in '93 and '94, respectively, or four and three, respectively. And it was—I just remember thinking, like, oh, is, I guess this is the new normal now. People just blow shit up in the in the United States, like that's fucked up, that's terrible. And then when they finally caught the guy that did it, Eric Rudolph, who's a real piece of shit. And is now living the rest of his life times a million in a supermax. Nobody really recognized it because it was after 9/11 that they found him. Right. Yeah, I have zero memory of that. Very, very few people (laughs) do, and so, so therefore, the 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 person whose name is most associated with this positive, well, negatively, is Richards. And you know, his mom is still alive, and and she's dealing with it every day. And I think and. In a lot of ways, this movie coming out and and bearing Clint's imprimatur and with Paul's Paul Walter Hauser's amazing performance, heartbreaking performance as Richard, uh, has given her some closure right. uh, and and a measure of respect for for the life and the legacy of her son. I mean, not to compare 
what he went through to your life. You haven't been accused of bombing anything, but you've been you've been through like the gossip mill in your career when you came to fame. I'm sure like you've seen the, the headlines that you're like you know raising your fist to. Did you did it did it take you a while to figure out how to handle shit like that? That probably still comes yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, part of it is. It's weird because part of it is you have to ignore it because to respond to it just gives it another wash in the cycle. Um, And then part of it is, well, I don't want to ignore it. It's false. People are deliberately spreading falsehoods about me or about someone I care about or my family or what have you. Uh, So it's a bit of a catch-22. And I think it's viewed as entertaining uh, by a lot of people and by a lot of, um, you know, entertainment corporations, they, they view it as entertainment. Yeah. Uh, it's co- sort of like poke the bear, ha ha ha. And I think with the kind of reality television aspect of it all, there are people who lean into being poked and how fun that is. And the, the real housewives or the Kardashians sure. or what have you, like, those people are monetizing it and weaponizing it in many ways. Um, but that's something you commit. That's like that's a life choice. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a real. That then you <laughs> have to live that life positively and negatively. Yeah. And yeah, you'll make money off of it, and yeah, you'll get exposure off of it. But at what cost? So I think there's a real calculus to be determined, and I don't think we, as a consumer culture, have quite figured out what the equation is. Um, but I do feel like there's a better way to kind of engage with that. To where it doesn't feel so cruel, uh, I think we're we're really leaning into this uh, cruelty aspect of it that that's that I don't I don't find very appealing or, or or in fact very American. I think it's I think it's 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 mean and it's sad. Yeah, did you? And that was a big part of it, like Richard. They were you know look oh this fat idiot sure. ha, ha, like look at what a dummy he lives with his mom, you know all of this stuff, and you're kind of like. What does that have to do with anything? You know, this guy saved hundreds of lives, yeah. and you're like, "Haha, you're fat." That's very weird. So you mentioned, and I think it's running after this, but I spoke to Paul, who delivers this fantastic performance. And for those that haven't don't associate the name yet, he was great in Itania, and he's kind of popping up in all these great things. And it's really cool to see him like front and center and something like this yeah. get a chance to really shine. I'm curious, like, okay, so you're like, you're part of the ensemble around this guy. You're prop, helping prop this guy up, and like, he really delivers. Does that, I mean, this is his first time number one on the call sheet. Like, yeah. does that remind you? I mean, Mad Men was probably your first time, yeah. probably sustained as number one on the call sheet. First time ever. When you see Paul doing that, are you like, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. it. I understand, I understand what it, feels like it's a it's a lot of responsibility and uh it's a lot of responsibility when it's a feature it's a lot of responsibility when it's a when it's a television series it's just a lot like you're the you're the main guy and for better or for worse you're setting the tone of of the set and you know it's a little bit different in this one whereas clint's kind of setting the tone of what's on the set right but as as number one you you really are uh looked up to by by the rest of the, of the thing for better or for worse and i just remember being you know watching a lot of my friends go through kind of the thing of like being supporting players and then moving up to leads and like and and them asking advice what do i do what's it like what's right. it going to be 
I said, you, 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 there's, there's no way for me to explain it. You just have to go through it. Yeah. And, you know, Paul has done it in a, in a very, uh, in, in, in just an elegant way of just uh, if really appreciating it and, and being present in it and also delivering. And he, he does, he delivers, uh, a really a, a beautiful performance, um, and really the, the 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 triangle between Paul and Sam Rockwell, who plays his lawyer in the film, uh, and Kathy, who pl- Kathy Bates, who plays his mom in the film, is the beating heart of the movie because yeah. you can just see that these three people care about each other so deeply, and it's it's three against the world right. at a certain point, and you and you just you feel so deeply because of their performances, you feel so deeply for how how wronged they were. Do you go back a ways with Rockwell too? I mean, he's just I've like, known Sammy for a long time. We've never worked guys. together. He's the best. Uh, I, I worked with Leslie, his his right. significant other on Tag, uh, but Sammy and Jeremy Renner are good buds, and they were hanging. We were all in Boston when I was doing the town. Renner and I were doing the town. I think Leslie Bibb was doing like the zookeeper or something. <laughs> um, so we all hung out then. That's when I I've, I've known Sam for the better part of a decade. Yeah, he's the best. So okay. Um, you were talking about like the elegant way that, that Paul kind of like rose the, to the occasion. Did you feel like it took you a second to like? So it's it, what's interesting to me about Mad Men is like for for those of us watching like from the outside in, it was like this fully formed like adult dude that we hadn't really a lot of us hadn't seen before just like came out of nowhere. In, in, in a way, like and you know take this for what it's worth, but like when Clooney kind of like came around on ER, he was like. This is like a man. This is a guy that's like he's not 22. He's just like and like where has he been? Did it in in retrospect are you kind of happy it all happened when it did? Well, I have no other experience right. you know to to compare it to, but I mean, you know, I I just I just uh I just remember thinking like, well, it's not my first rodeo. Like it's not my first TV show. It's not my first time being a regular on a TV show. Right. It's not my first time on a set. It's not my first time anything. It's not my first, certainly not my first time acting. And, and, and so, and in many ways, that was the case for kind of one through six on the call sheet on our, on our shows, you know, between me and Christina and uh, Vincent Carthizer and Elizabeth Moss and Slattery, like we all had been on shows and right. we'd all been, had various roles and, and, of, of you know varying import, but we all knew what we were doing. Uh, but we weren't people that were necessarily super recognizable. And so I guess you know I don't know. Like I, I look at these kids now that are whether they're like Netflix superstars or YouTube kids or whatever, and I just think like, good luck. I don't know. I don't know what that's going to be like in in ten years and fifteen years and whatever. I don't know. I mean, and, yeah. and I it's really not up to me to care about you know it, it's it, I just think good luck I, I, I wish them all the best um, you know I think the way that that the younger generation is consuming media is completely different I don't know what Quibi is going to be I don't know what YouTube's going to turn into um, it is funny like you know I could walk down the street and depending on the demographics of the street be completely unrecognizable or or mobbed and then some YouTube kid could walk behind me and you know somebody would be like right the whole place would turn into you know a hard day's night so <laughs> they don't know what that is bad reference for no that. <laughs> of course but yeah it, it's very it's very interesting and i think you know i i, I don't judge it 
Yeah. I don't. I have no judgment I against it. I think I judged it at first. When when, when YouTube sure. started to come around, you're like, oh god, almighty. Well, but it but it is what it is. Like it's for the generation, you, it's what they, you, that's yeah. what they that's what they came up with, and that's what they like, and that's yeah. what they know. Honestly, um, it's like you know, video games for a certain generation are now watching people play video games is entertaining for people somehow. Okay, like whatever you know, it yeah. is what it is. I I long ago gave up kind of judging that idea of oh because something's not for me therefore it has no worth right um i think that that's a that's a one-way ticket to crazy land you, you you'll just drive yourself nuts so when you, you're growing up as i understand it you're one of those annoying people that both was skilled and and interested in athletics but also kind of into the nerdy shit too well, I was an only child, so I mean, I have two half sisters, but they didn't, they didn't live with my mom and I. Uh, so I read a lot of books, I watched a lot of TV, I read a lot of comic books, but I also was in a lot of after-school programs and Cub Scouts and right. athletics, and I had a, I was in a bowling league, and like I just I like to do a lot of stuff because I was encouraged to do right. it. And then I was really fortunate to go to a, a middle school and high school where I was encouraged to do the same thing just try everything uh and it wasn't that you had to be great at it it was just that you had to try it and if you didn't like it at the end of the semester you could not do it anymore right so it was a pretty cool way to introduce kids to stuff that they may not have thought that they were good at um and they may not have been good at but they liked it enough to work hard enough to get good at it yeah whether it's art or singing or sculpture or math or, you know, writing or what have you. Sure. Uh, wrestling, swimming, basketball, what have you. And we were encouraged to do all of that. So I, I was a, yeah, I was a three-sport varsity athlete. I was, I was in my senior uh, theater musical. We did uh, uh, Godspell. And I was an honors student in, in, in you know, class. So... We were just encouraged to achieve, and it was it was something that wasn't looked down upon. You weren't looked right. on as oh, you're trying too hard, or right, right, right. You're an elite. Like it was like, can't we all be elites? Isn't that what we're all kind of looking for? Like to really yeah. be good at what we do instead of be average at what we do and demand that somebody call average great. Good enough, yeah. What were the what were your movies? What were the uh, what were the ones you knew by heart? Oh, uh, like p- pretty much the the. The '80s comedies, so it was Fletch and yeah. Beverly Hills Cop and uh, Top Gun, um, which wasn't a comedy, but had some <laughs> weird elements to it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that whole the whole '80s uh, oeuvre was, you know, Stripes, Caddyshack, like all Bill Murray stuff, Ghostbusters. Blues Brothers, you, you know. Are you losing your mind that your buddy Rudd is uh, in the new Ghostbusters? It looks really good. I just saw the trailer. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks it looks awesome. I, he kind of stealthed that one on us because <laughs> we were all like, "You're doing what? Like, didn't they just remake that?" He's like, "No, it's different." I was like, "And it looks really good. I, I, I'm excited to see it." I know. I'm hopeful. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the last one too. I, I like the last one too. I did a good job. Yeah. But I think uh, I think this is a, actually a kind of an interesting, cool way to get back into it. Yeah. So. In the wake of in the wake of Mad Men, you had some kind of like, or, or when kind of Mad Men started to hit, you had a lot of opportunity, a lot of big decisions to make for the first time, uh, probably in your career. Before then, you're a jobbing actor. You're probably taking what you can get, and all of a sudden, you have the luxury and the curse of choice. 
And it seems like you, you took that pretty seriously, especially when it comes to like leading, being a leading guy. Like it, it, my sense is you didn't want to like jump into the wrong kind of things, like being front and center. Uh, is that accurate? Is that, in retrospect, were you tentative, too tentative? What was your attitude? You know, I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I think I, I, I definitely felt like there was a, a reticence on my part to like grab with both hands. Like, this is all mine. Yeah. Uh, a, I just wasn't raised that way. But B, like, it felt like that's a little thirsty, as the kids say these days. <laughs> uh, and a little unappealing, honestly. Lauren Michaels used to say, how can we miss you if you won't go away? Mm. And, uh, and I thought, oh, that's a smart way to look at it. Um, but I, mostly it was, you know, because I played Don Draper, then every... every script I got was a Draper 2.0 kind of version and I thought well I kind of do that on my day job like why would I want to go from that and go do it again yeah there's got to be something better out there and so the ones that I picked were you know whether it was sort of a family oriented movie like Million Dollar Arm or um, what have you comedies you know Bridesmaids and you know, 30 Rock and stuff like that it was just it was kind of a pivot away from the the serious kind of hard drama that was Mad Men and, and and what it really afforded me fortunately in my career now is that I can I have credibility on 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 really both sides of that of that aisle I can I've got comedy cred and chops and yeah. people that like to work with me on that and doing the Kimmy Schmidt movie that's going to come out on Netflix and uh, and then you know I can I can do something like this where it's it's a it's a drama about real things. Yeah, it feels like on the, on the comedy aspect. I just saw you pop up in the Curb trailer too. Oh yeah, I just yeah. saw that too. Can't wait for that. Um, feels like Thirty Rock was the game changer, probably. Well, and, and Thirty Rock came because Lorne was nice enough to to take a chance on me on hosting SNL. Uh, I remember coming back from the read through on Wednesday, the first time I hosted, and the phone ringing in my dressing room at 8H and, and picking up the phone like, hello? <laughs> Did you mean to call this phone? And it was uh, Robert Carlock from, from 30 Rock. Hey, we got this part on, on 30 Rock. Would you maybe want to do it? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I do want to do that. Uh, the smartest, funniest Because it was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, everything about that show was great. And I was like, yep, I want to do it. And then that turned into a... a a long relationship, not only with that show, but with Tina and Robert and Kimmy Schmidt and yeah. what have you. Was it fun to play just one of the world's great morons? Like you uh, and Carell, I feel like are the all timers. Well, like, I, I, I mean, I've got, I've, they've written two of them for me now with the Reverend, but uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting. You know, it was an interesting um, process to go through because I hadn't really done a lot of like hard comedy like that, so I was genuinely like tell me what you want tell me what you want me to do yeah um and you know it was it's it's hard to mess that up it's the comedy's kind of baked in so they're good at what they do i mean it's but like to see your resume like especially like you pop you pop in to every like great comedy in the last like 10 years i would say like they all like they know you deliver you're receptive to it kind of kind of to my agent's chagrin yeah really? they, are yeah they, are they are they like okay enough of that like, we don't be, want to like, be less accessible really oh, yeah it's the right choices i mean even something i would say like on seven days in hell by the way is like a great choice like that's a fun well again like Sam, sandberg <laughs> and those guys like i just think that they're 
they're so funny yeah. and and it's always even do, just doing stuff like that is I don't know I think it makes you live longer when, when you laugh and you have a good time yeah what about an experience on a different uh, aspect with um, like Edgar Wright on uh, oh, Edgar <coughs> Edgar's uh, style is incredibly easy to work with because he's so hyper prepared yeah that talk about a person who's got it cut together in his head exactly yeah um but he also is able to kind of communicate that in in the sense of he will have giant whiteboards up with all the shots that we need to get on the day and there'll be a lot of them um because if you've seen his films you know that there's a million cuts and there's a million inserts and all these things but you'll just watch as we go through the day and you'll and you'll see as you red x every shot that you get you, you go oh we're, we're making progress on this day it's 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 right there you mm-hmm. can see it it's not this kind of idea of are we getting anything that we like is, is, is anything happening um so you definitely feel like you're in very good hands and edgar's a guy that works with a lot of the same people a lot of the time and has been making movies since he was a teenager i mean he's a real he's a crazy cinephile i mean there's 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 not a movie that you could name that Edgar hasn't seen at least once. Right. I would be shocked. You would have to dig pretty deep into some pretty <laughs> obscure cinema. Uh, and even then, I'd bet he he's at least heard of it. Right. Um, so I, I've stayed at his house in L.A. once or twice, and the amount of the sheer amount of of films that he has like in his house it's it's like. It's like a library. Yeah, it's crazy. He's like the Tarantino Scorsese of that ilk. He, those guys very that much so. And 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 by the way, he and Quentin are are, are friends, and I think have because they have that shared vocabulary, that need to kind of just talk in film terms. Yeah, there's a um, for every reference for every life. Experience. It's so true. I mean, and you watch, you know, Once Upon a Time, or yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see Edgar's next one, which will be called Last Night in Soho. Right. Uh, I got to visit the set on that one. I happened to be in London doing something, and they Sounds were shooting like a bit right of a hotel. Of too, yeah, it's right? a, it's a, it's very much of a darker thriller, kind darker of thing, kind right? of genre yeah. thing, which will be interesting. I'll see what he does with that. Do you have the the same sort of list that I, the list that I would expect you to have of the filmmakers that like would call you? Yeah, or? sure. I mean, there's you know, a lot of them are hanging on your wall here. Um, Not literally, just for the record. I think that's <laughs> Their posters are hanging <laughs> on your wall. But, you know, you've got, if I'm just going left to right, Martin Scorsese, David Lynch, Robert Zemeckis, and John Carpenter. That's fair. So those are, <laughs> those are good, some pretty great. Uh, that's a good starting point. George Miller behind you over here. George Miller behind me. And, yeah, thanks, yeah. Uh, and um, Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, those are people for, yeah, you know, uh, the, it wouldn't take much for me to say yes. Um, but, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their thing, and hopefully they'll. Our paths will cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For a few years there, I feel like I would always see you at things like at Sundance or something and different random things, and there was always like a new fan art of you as Superman or Batman to ask you about. Yeah. And so even if we're looking in the rear view now, if like if you feel like, you know, your superhero time has passed, which I don't necessarily, I'm not saying, but like, did anything come, like, did you ever actually meet with, I mean, you've worked with Zack Snyder. Did Zack ever, like, bring you in for The only time things? I auditioned for Superman was for the uh, Brian, uh, oh, the uh, Brian Singer, Singer version. Uh, that was years ago. Uh, before I really even. Is that before Mad Men? It was well before Mad Men. Oh, wow. Uh, I was probably 30. Did you put uh, the suit on? No. I, I just <laughs> read for it, and I, and I remember asking at the time the, the casting director or the people that were there I was like can I make this funny like can it be a little funny I just the, my my 
I grew up with, you know, the uh, 70s version of Superman, which was kind of funny. Like, yeah. And, and I, so I did a take on it, and they really liked it. And the feedback was, we're going younger. <laughs> that was when I was 30. I was oh. like, okay, well, okay, I see where this is going. Uh, and they cast Brandon Routh, and that was fine. Yeah. But, um, no, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of, like, I think there's a lot of stories to be told in that world. Uh, and I think that they're, what you're seeing now is, is a real uh, embracing of that idea that you can really tell multiple storylines, yes. different versions of these stories. Yeah, Joker, obviously. Um, Joker, obviously, is a perfect example of it. But, you know, even within the, the, the Batman storylines, there are several different iterations of, you know, the Flashpoint version of Batman. There's mm-hmm. so many different versions that I think that it, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think that the, the the book is closed on that for me. We'll see. I don't know. It's a. It it takes a. It takes a lot of people at a lot of high levels and, and at yeah. studio level to kind of sign off on that stuff, and it's a big gamble because they're spending a ton of money. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, it's it's always been interesting to to see these kind of iterations of me, whether it's a, as, as Cable or as right. uh, Batman or 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 uh, Superman or what have you, because mostly they're written by, drawn by by comics guys, and and it's cool, you know, it's it's, it's, awesome. it's, it's appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really is appreciated. Are you watching Watchmen? I am. I'm really digging Watchmen. Oh, I'm all caught up. It's it's another like uh, Succession. It's one of those. Sunday night shows, where I'm just so glad it's not all yes. out at once. Yes, it's like again because yeah, the anticipatory totally factor is so off the chart for me. And yeah, uh, when I saw the one about the nostalgia, the black and white one that was so elegantly the done, justice one, yeah. yeah, that was so cool. And then the next, the one last week was such a good penultimate episode, like to set it up. I'm like, I can't wait to see how they figure this out. <laughs> I just had Yaya Abdul Mateen uh-huh. in last week and yeah, it was uh, it's been a treat. Yeah, it really has. I was wondering how they were gonna I kinda I have to rewatch it because I kinda felt like I saw like some Oh yeah, if you go back I've read some articles that I, I didn't recognize at yeah, the time. Some, not even Easter hints, eggs, yeah. but like some like some like hints on how are you gonna get Doctor Manhattan mm. into this? Like what's the what's the move gonna be? But even I was like, oh Shit. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, some goosebumps really, moments, right? That's for a really like, cool yeah. reveal. Yeah. When the uh, Life on Mars a song kicked in at the end of the two episodes yeah. ago, I was like, hair on the back yep. of my neck. Uh-oh. Like, amazing. Right. Um, speaking of hair on the back of your neck, a little bit on the set of Top Gun. I mean, it's not Tony Scott, but it's it feels like it feels like a yeah. Tony Scott film. It's no, pretty it's, cool. Uh, it's very much in the style of. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't given the opportunity to... <clears throat> my character is sort of based on land or on ship, right? So I wasn't in the, in the plane, but uh, a lot of the younger kids were really, I think, having the time of their lives. And I think, you know, half of them weren't born when the first one came out, but um, but they can definitely identify with the with the touchstone pop culture touchstone capacity that this movie was, and especially that you know, there's not a lot of guys left in the movie uh, yeah. universe that are Tom Cruise's. And uh, he is one of a kind, and he's a you know national treasure, and he's a he's just he's just a energizer bunny. I mean, he just goes and goes and goes, 
and isn't happy until it's perfect and yep. and and there's there's really something to be said for that you know it's it's impressive so no shirtless volleyball but you're at the watchtower watching the shirtless yeah, volleyball I game the, basically I got, the, I got the binoculars out <laughs> checking everybody you're out. doing great looking good boys <laughs> let's oil it up and do it again oh god <laughs> that's your that's your catchphrase though for exactly. years exactly <laughs> has been since the division oh deep cut there that's you go right. <laughs> um so Happy holidays to you, sir. Are you taking a break? Do you have some uh, stuff lined up in the next uh, in the new year? I, I, I don't think anything I can definitively okay. say that I'm doing. I've got a couple maybes. Um, is, if, is New York home now or is LA? Mostly LA. I have a place here that I that I share with my aunt. Um, it's just kind of a place to keep clothes and whatnot, but right. it's nice enough and convenient. Yeah. And I can fly here without a big bag or anything like that, which is nice. Um, but no, mostly I, I stay in LA. I'll go back. I'll, I'll, I'll stick around uh, for a week or so here after I'm done with press and see some friends and go to some holiday parties and nice. and hang out. But mostly I'm uh, I'm going. Um, I'll be home for the holidays. Yeah. Have you done theater here in New York? Uh, not not Broadway. Does that uh, interest you at all? Is that uh, it, depending on the on the project and and and. The people attached, yeah. Godspell revival, take it all the way I think, back. I think we've, I think we've. You did it. Why, why improve on perfection? Yeah, exactly. It was great when I was in twelfth grade. I don't think I could sing those notes anymore. But, uh, you know, I have tremendous respect for the people that that put the time and the effort into to live theater. Yeah. It's such a different muscle, and it it's it's uh, it's it's just impressive. Um, I watched my ex go through it for years, and yeah. Uh, watch the kind of toll it took on her body and her voice and everything. It's 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 a thing. It's like a it's a ninety minute workout eight times a week, and that's that's a lot. And uh, I've got a lot of friends that 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 I support when they do Slattery and Danny right. Mester Georgia, Bobby Cannavale, a lot of these guys that I know. And uh, I think Bobby's doing uh, Medea with with right, Rose. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll definitely go check that out. But. Um, yeah, I mean, I love I love going to see it. I, I would love to maybe do it if, if the the right thing came along. Yeah, but as my friend said, like you got to really want to do it, like because it's a it's a grueling schedule. Yeah, it's one, some actor, especially if it's a tough play or like yeah something you really got to dig into. It's it's not fun. Yeah, I think one actor I had here recently, I can't remember which, mentioned like the last thing you want to be is like two or three months into a six month run on a play and realize <sighs> you're just on autopilot and just not into it because mm-hmm. that's that's where the real work is. Yeah, true, and it's true. And yeah. and look, I think anybody will tell you like there's nobody's 100 percent for 100 percent of the plays. Yeah. you're sick, you're tired, you know, you're you're got other shit going on. You're yeah. worried about X Y Z. Your kids sick or going to school, or whatever. You know, there's a million different things, yeah. but you got to kind of manage all of that. Um, I'm glad it finally happened. The podcast is in the books. You're welcome here anytime, sir. Thank you. I would, I, I would offer you to do one of these stupid uh, Michael Shannon-esque sketches, but it sounds like your agents are trying to poo-poo you doing comedy anymore. But if you have one more in you, John, at some point, put on a silly costume for me. We'll have some fun. All right. Any, anytime. <laughs> I'll come in and I'll crash somebody else's podcast. There you go. Fair enough. Uh, congratulations on Richard Jewell. Everybody should check it out. Um, and have a great holiday. Man. Thanks, bud. You too. Appreciate it. Cheers. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 